Welcome to Gin and Tantra, Spirituality with a Twist, the podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, and Tears, those of you who like a little Tantra with your gin and a little gin with your Tantra, uh, welcome aboard. Hard to say what uh, order people may be listening to these. Daniel and I are in this constant midst of preparing this spiritual deluge for the show. We have our two-person series talking about tantric and Buddhist philosophy and practice. We got our ginseng and tantra TCM episodes for people from the Chinese medical community, our sisters and brothers over there. And we're talking about uh, Chinese medical issues, especially things related to COVID, but other topics as well. We are doing interviews with spiritually interesting folks. Uh, we just uh, finished up a series with the psychologist, uh, Samit Kumar, uh, author of Grieving Mindfully and the Mindful Path Through Worry. So you can check out that series. And we're also producing episodes like this one on quote unquote special topics of interest. And today we're going to talk about um, uh, spirituality, uh, tantric Buddhism and psychedelics. So that should be a subject matter that uh, yeah, I think, I think especially you have things that you want to say something about. Right, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the, the episode is inspired by a little bit by Brad Warner, who's a Zen master of the Soto School, and he's an author, author of a number of books, uh, popular books on Buddhism, and he has this pretty deep criticism of psychedelics, so we thought we would look at his criticisms and have as much of a fair and balanced conversation as we can have about the subject. And I know I just used the Fox News slogan know, in this I intro, gonna, but we'll just, we'll just try to ignore that. Let's just let that go. <laughs> Okay, I thought I'd throw out some of his critiques, Daniel, if you have anything to say about them. I got, I got some feelings about this. I'm sure we both have feelings about this. So I'll throw out, I'll throw out a little bit what he thinks. And you know, when you want to pop in and kind of say what you think about what he thinks, I think that sure. would be good, right? I'll push the red button, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just come on in. So, uh, okay, so here's his thing. You know, he's done a number of like online videos about this. And uh, it was interesting for me to listen to him, Daniel, because part of it I agreed with. I mean, I understood where he was coming from. Mm -hmm. and part of it was like, okay, I'm not sure if I agree with this to the extent that he's, he's saying it. So, okay, here's some of his criticisms. He's very adamant about the fact that it, they're kind of like inconsistent and unpredictable mm -hmm. as spiritual tools. And so he says that that like really relates to a possibility of irresponsibility, because some people will have bad experiences and some people may ultimately develop serious problems around this. Or he's really concerned about people who would use, you know, the spiritual use of psychedelics as sort of an excuse to engage in, you know, drug problems they might already have. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that kind of stuff? I, was, I'm, I'm, I pushed the red button. So apparently <laughs> you saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can feel it from afar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just honestly feel like that's a very ignorant way to, to look at it. So you have some people who will use anything in just sort of a flippant way, right? And you just take a little bit of this or you do a little bit of that and then you might have an experience or you might not. But if you use it in such a way that is ceremonial and you have an intention, right? You have a, a desire 
to have some sort of experience with this and learn whatever it is that you might learn because you're not in control. And that and when you're really, when you take enough, you're not in control. That, that, that unpredictability is the opening. That's the whole point. Because if you could predict everything, why would you bother taking it? You know what I mean? In order to transcend the limits of the mind, why would I practice? If I could just realize upon hearing some, you know, magic set of words, then things would be a lot easier for my personal practice anyway. So I feel like, you know, this idea of that people using um, psychedelics or whatever in, in, you know, some sort of reckless way, yes, then he is correct. Then it does become inconsistent and it can have a sense of irresponsibility to it. But if it's done in a way that most traditional settings set it up to be used, then it's actually the opposite of that. And it promotes a very uh, good relationship with that particular psychedelic that that person is using and can be infinitely life transforming. So, you know, Daniel, I think just for the audience, you have a, you have a shaman's perspective on this. I mean, you have a shamanism, shamanism as part of your experience. So, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you should just like clue people in a little bit as to where you're coming from with that and, sure. you know, a little bit like what your experience is like. Yeah. So I have been, uh, so we will have, um, you know, one of my main teachers, hopefully on here uh, at some point on the podcast, uh, name is Mary Kay Ryan. And she was a, a teacher at the school where I went to also where I met, you know, our, my lovely co-host, Eric Baker. Um, but um, so, you know, we, I learned various types of shamanism through her and then obviously in my own studying. And I have been teaching shamanism now for probably the last, I'll say, seven or eight years. Um, mm -hmm. And really, I think it, it's, it's, it's ceremony. And even in most practices, there's ceremony. And I would say in all practices, ceremony is absolutely part of everything that we do. You know, before you have, for the most part, before people have children, there's some ceremonial courting, right? You go out on a date or you send them a tweet or I don't know how it works nowadays. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. But some amount of ritual involved, you know? Um, and so the, the ritualistic aspect is also in the Zen and Buddhist and Catholic and Muslim and every uh, tradition. You know, Tantra has tons of ritual elements to it. It's like, and I was yeah. raised Catholic and the idea that you do a ritual, it just knocks you into a certain place of mind Yes, to, attach and to uh, tap into what's being asked of you. Mm -hmm. But you start talking about like you're doing it with psychedelics. So there's a ritual around it, which sort of primes the mind to get people mm -hmm. in the space to be able to use that. That's basically what you're talking about, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so from that perspective, then it all comes down to how it gets used, you know? So if let's say there, you know, I'll give an example. Uh, there's Haitian shamans who use rum as their means to, to, for a, a trance state. Okay. And so they drink, you know, and they're pretty heavily intoxicated, but they're performing rituals and, and spiritual acts, you know, in order with their tradition to do whatever it is that they're trying to do. But I know that they use rum in particular. Well, that's certainly different than the, a vacationer from Long Island who is down in the Caribbean, you know, having, uh, you know, a coconut rum drink, you know, on the beach with his wife and a couple kids, you know, and he's getting lit. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. not the same thing, even though the substance is the same. So am I going to say that? Well, for him, he's contributing to, and now I made this person from Long Island now an alcoholic. I'm sorry for whoever that is, um, <laughs> you know, but now he's contributing to a habit. That's a problem. Whereas the, the shamans that are using it to, uh, elicit a trance state this is their medium to get to that trance state is it wrong no it's a neutral substance just used differently it kind of goes back to what like timothy leary said back in the day even about lsd which a lot of it has to do with setting and you're talking about intent and those kinds of questions right yes this is called but, set and setting mindset and physical setting so what do you think about so a part of his concern and i get it and you know i don't 
you kind of can respect the guy for voicing it. Do you think sure. there's really a thing where people who have substance abuse problems are trying to justify it by like couching it under spirituality? I think my gut level reaction would be something like, I hear what you're saying. I think it would be irresponsible to, I don't know, to try to like, um, you know, lure people back into something that could be negative in terms of them developing habit problems. But I think people who have habits mm -hmm. with substances are going to have habits with substances. It's hard to say whether they need the excuse of a ritual setting to do it. They want to do it anyway. So is there any conversation about, you know, being on the lookout for people who might have tendencies to have substance abuse problems when you're looking at that from a shamanist perspective, or does it just not come up because people are going to no, do no, drugs, no. are going to do drugs for their own recreation and they don't need to couch it in an excuse. So it's both. If you want to do it, you're going to do it. You don't need an excuse. However, if you're going to use it for a purpose, I know numerous people who have used, you know, particularly ayahuasca to help break drug addictions. Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah. We're going to talk about the research around that, too, because there's lots of research. So we're going to do a little bit on that research. later in the episode, too, or we can do it now whenever you want to do it. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there's that component to it. But I think more than just a substance abuse, it's a mind state. So whether you want to, you know, label it one thing or another, the, the mentality of addiction is the larger part that we're talking about here, you know, and people who have addictive type personalities, that's a larger problem, you know, in terms of use of anything, right? Because it's a drive that, and once you have positive feedback from something, so you get high or you feel whatever it is that you feel from something that wants you to do it more and more. And then that repetitive behavior damages your life. That's the problem with addiction outside of all, all the physical, you know, ailments that go along with being addicted to an, an external substance like that. Um, so that's a question that I'm always asking anybody who is interested in doing something is do they have a family history of addiction? Do they have a family history of psychotic break? Do they have a history of anxiety, depression, or something like that, that they might be pushed over the edge if they're not prepared properly. And that really goes back to our previous discussion of set and setting, mindset and setting. Why are you doing this? You know, just like if someone comes to a church or a temple or whatever, you know, they, they come to practice, they come to learn, but it's like, why are you doing this? And if they say, oh, well, because I want to learn how to control a partner who is not listening to me. Well, that's not the intention for their desire to learn is not pure you know, yeah, and that has yeah. to be worked out. So I, I think just labeling something as one thing or another is, is very short-sighted and actually the opposite of what it is that we're trying to do and weave everything together and try and, and find the gems, you know, within the, the piles of trash, essentially. I had kind of like an interesting personal reaction to it too, because on the one hand, I come from a family where there's definitely like alcoholism as a problem, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I don't really have any of those kinds of things. I just don't, you know, have that. I'm doing the air, the, the air quotes. Now. I don't have that kind of karma. Mm -hmm. I can like interact with the substance and put it, uh, take it up or put it down. I don't really have any issues with that, but obviously I have people in my family who do have issues with that. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of understand that, but I've never had the personal thing like that. But you know, as I was thinking about what he was saying for just using him as a jumping off point for the conversation, I was like, well, sure. if I'm honest though, and we can talk about our own experiences as we go through, but like, not a lot of experience with this, but the experiences I had were pretty much positive, mm -hmm. you know, so you're going to have this massive kind of individual difference thing, but I could certainly see maybe other people in my family who would have serious problems potentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a, I, you know, my personal reaction was kind of like, hmm, interesting, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next thing he brings up is that this is not 
a part of a, a, a real Buddhist tradition like Zen. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a fair thing to say. Sure. You know, I don't know if you're going to, because I think part of his objection was there's people who are going, well, let's bring our psychedelics into Buddhism and call it Buddhism. And I think there's part of him that's saying, well, then you're just doing something else. He doesn't like it. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I get, you know, you get the feeling like, okay, he must have seen people who've suffered with this, you uh -huh. know? So he's, he seems to be talking, he's not saying that he is, but you get the vibe he's talking from a personal place, which uh -huh. I can respect. Um, and there's obviously a problem with substance abuse within the, within the culture, all kinds of substances though, obviously beyond psychedelics, right? We have a whole opioid epidemic going on that has nothing to do with this. Uh -huh. So, but I also get like, he's saying like, well, if you're going to say it's Buddhist, you know, you should probably like give a shout out to tradition and just kind of acknowledge that the tradition isn't necessarily majorly like that. Uh -huh. Though it's kind of like a complicated question. And so he had like, yeah, go ahead. You had something you want to say about that too. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if we're going to talk about, you know, the, this kind of idea of it's not part of tradition. Yes, perhaps that's, that's true. Um, but like in, in the yogic tradition, which, you know, is absolutely inherently related. I mean, they're all from the same kind of area. Um, you know, one of the eight limbs, one of the eight paths to realization is substance. They don't say which substance, but yeah, yeah. It, is, it is substance. So, and because it's not elicited as to what it is that they generally tell people to steer away from it because they don't really, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but it, it's not, but the, the texts do say that it, it exists or at least it did at one point. So to, you know, to, to pretend as if like this doesn't have its place is just, you know, sort of being disingenuous, you know what I mean? Like maybe from the, the Zen, you know, from the Buddhist tradition or from the Zen tradition, that's the case. And I can certainly respect that as, as their own tradition. Uh, but to say that it's not traditional is not true. So he's really, okay, so we're going to have a conversation about the mysterious Soma at some point before we're mm -hmm. done with this whole thing mm -hmm. and, you know, what that might be. But it's interesting because even if you don't know exactly what that is, it doesn't mean that you might not have other substances mm -hmm. like an ayahuasca or whatever it is that's, or psilocybin that's producing analogous experiences. Mm -hmm. so, so we we deal with that issue a lot in Asian cultural things, you know, we're doing Chinese medicine. We don't know exactly what some Chinese medical doctor was doing 2000 years ago, but we can extrapolate it out. We can learn from it. And we can also kind of look at our experiences now and make substitutions and do other things around that. Sure. So even if we can't crack the code of what the mysterious Soma was, it's not like we're completely paralyzed by that. To my mind, I think you can mm -hmm. make other, you can kind of make other conclusions by what's available now and still make that potentially a useful thing for people if it's done in a way that's, you know, uh, obviously respectful and uh, uh, careful and caring, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So this whole issue, like, is this in the Buddhist tradition? And this comes down to the question of the precepts. So, you know, they have the, um, uh, the Buddhist precepts and the fifth one really talks about intoxicants. And it mm. seems like they specifically mention alcohol. Um, and I think the warning is that they can lead to kind of like, like, I think they use the phrase sometimes in translation, heedless behavior, sure. uh, behavior that ends up being potentially mm, not so well thought out, you know, not so well mm -hmm. handled because of the intoxicants involved, mm -hmm. which again, I think in the ritual setting that you're talking about when you're being directed by another person, that isn't as much of an issue, but they are, they are, they're, they are mentioning that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, then it raises a really interesting question about precepts that seemed like it was worthwhile talking about because in some of the, like the Buddhist traditions, and we're referencing a lot to Buddhist Tantra. So that's the reason we're making the connection here. So in some of the Buddhist traditions that are more, I guess you'd say conservative, 
the precepts are taken kind of like verbatim things, like the way a person might think about like the Ten Commandments or something like that. But um, in other parts of the tradition, they're not taken quite as literally. And there are, you know, there's just a different way of interacting with those things. So I was doing a little research on this little part of the conversation, people talking about psychedelics and Buddhism. And there's a, there was a Zen master or Zen teacher I wasn't really familiar with. It's uh, Kokyo Henkel. Um, and he is apparently someone who is associated with Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, which is a pretty famous place in Northern California. And he also, at the time the video was made that I was just doing a little curiosity searching around this, he was at Santa Cruz Zen Center. If he's still there or not, I don't know. But anyway, I was only giving him his shout out because he was just talking about this. And he gave the example of like uh, one of the, the precept against lying. You know, you could take that as a literal thing or you can take that as an interpretable thing. And he gives the kind of classic example. If you were hiding someone in your basement who was wanted by the secret police, would you lie to protect them? And of course you would, right? So you're going to interpret what those are, which raises the interesting question. Even in the Buddhist precepts, do you interpret what people are talking about when you're talking about using even something like something that's going to be something, a consciousness altering substance? You know, if you're a Mahayana or you're a Tantrika, you know, then your attitude might be a little bit different about that than it would be if you were following the precepts in a strict, strict, strict way. And I was raised Catholic, so <laughs> I have some feelings of what it's like to have like strict precepts versus precepts that you have to interpret, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. So in some of the tantric rituals, you know, they'd use wine or they use sexuality. And if you're following the precepts super strictly, you wouldn't necessarily think about that. So there might be some some ways when you get to certain kinds of ways of practicing Buddhism where, you know, you're not going to be maybe as literal, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's kind of an interesting kind of point with just from a, I don't know, a, a, a Zen and Buddhist perspective, you might get different attitudes, how you would think about that kind of stuff, but it does come down to the fifth precept. Mm -hmm. So for people who are coming at this podcast from sort of a Zen or Buddhist point of view, that's where the discussion comes from. So, okay. His other big criticism then is that he sees that it opens the door to sort of absurdities, which I kind of get. Like he kind of gives this example, like you wouldn't say that someone would just do a substance and learn how to do heart surgery mm -hmm. <laughs> or do a substance and learn how to like, like, uh, you know, fix a car, you know? So why would you take a drug and all of a sudden learn how to meditate? And I guess I get part of what he's saying there because he's basically saying meditation is a skill that you develop. It's its own unique thing. And I guess there can be a temptation for people to say, well, I don't have to like do the work of the meditating. I'll just go through and like work around that by doing some substance induced thing, which might mm -hmm. be kind of an American thing to do. You got a feeling about that, Daniel? Um, yeah. I mean, it just to be honest, it sounds like this person has never done it before. Oh, no, he definitely has. <laughs> oh, he definitely has? Okay, yeah, he well. definitely has. And he kind of, it's funny, he has like an old album he recorded. He was like a punk rock bassist back in the day. Mm -hmm. And he did his own kind of solo albums. And there's, he has actual recordings of himself and a friend who are tripping on acid at the time. And he has their voices recorded on a backing track or something. So mm -hmm. he makes the argument, like, I think people throws that, throw that out to him. He's like, no, it's not like I've never done it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, everyone's path is their own you know, uh -huh. and maybe for him, the, the, the lure of re re repeated use, repetitive use was, um, 
greater than the, you know, the benefits or the detriment to his life was greater than the benefits that he was or receiving from it. Maybe he was in the music scene and he saw a bunch of people fall prey to drug culture, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, I think then to have a position of authority to be sort of an influencer, if we'll use a modern term, you know, um, to just lambast anything in particular that has potential for good. It's not like we're talking about some sort of, you know, exclusive ideology, right? That we're saying, oh, these people are bad based on their beliefs or whatever. We're talking about like something that has, uh, that, that has been around, that it just tran really transcended millennia, generational, you know, like cultures all across the world from time beginning, you know, from man, really the, the beginning of man. Uh, to say that they're bad or whatever is, is just sort of short-sighted. And I understand that people can only speak from their experience and that's where they generally teach from. Um, but I think it, you have to be very careful because what was not good for you maybe be, might be okay for somebody else. And, you know, he had experience with them, which is great, but he's able to come to these realizations because he had the experience with them. You know what I mean? So it's hard to say that, like, you can't remove this from your experience now and say that they're all bad because you did a bunch of them, you know? So, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like someone saying, oh, trust me, this works. Believe me. Yeah. I, there's someone who says, believe me a lot. And I don't believe a word he says. So. Well, it's kind of funny because he brings up that it's kind of a remnant of like sixties boomer culture, you know, like the mm -hmm. hippie culture from the sixties. And he feels like he was around in the seventies and he just saw a lot of those people being kind of like wasted out. Mm -hmm. But, um, and it's always like a, there's a funny cultural thing around that because it's a lot of those people from the 60s who did all this wild shit and then they try to tell everybody not to do it <laughs> and you're like dude you did it yeah so right. you know okay you know? Pretty much when <laughs> whoever you are now is like was influenced by who you were then so i don't know Absolutely. what to tell you <laughs> right and when yeah. someone tells me not to do something you know i'm definitely don't do it bro it's too much fun okay all right music sounds amazing and like your life is going to change. Forget it. Don't do it. I'm like, all right, well, where is it? I don't want to try it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind so, of like, yeah, it gets, it gets to that kind of funny space, you know? And so when I was listening to him talk and this is, you know, I wanted to have you talk about shamanism too, but it was like at least a starting point for the episode connected back to the yeah. Buddhist stuff we've been doing. Yeah. But I was like, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's not like I don't hear what he's saying, you know, mm -hmm. I give him his props. There's, there's the fifth precept. And there is a kind of a thing where I don't, you can't say that like, learning how to meditate is the same as just, you know, doing some psychedelic. That's not the same thing. And the goal of meditation no. isn't, you know, but they're not, they're not, they're not exclusive, mutually exclusive things, no. I suppose. And they're also, it's going to be a truth in our culture that a lot of people who end up getting into Buddhist things, Zen or uh, Tantric Buddhism or whatever it is, uh, Tantra or Taoism, we're, we're going to just because of the culture have experience of doing these psychedelics. And having whatever experiences we had on them, it's going to be part of our background, right? So yeah. that's just natural. And it, I, you don't, I don't think you can pretend that that's not true, right? So it's interesting. No, it, that's, I mean, that's part of the audience. I think most people who are in a lot of these centers and, and are, have an open mind, open their mind at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why they're here. So you know, to say you, the way that you got here, for some anyways, is not good. So don't do that ever again. It's like, well, that's why I'm here now. Because it's, I, yeah. You know? I was looking at the one guy and I can't remember his name now, but he was basically saying he was doing in, like informal research. He's a researcher on the sure. medical usages of psychedelics. And I can't remember the dude's name, but he basically was saying that um, as many as maybe 90% of the people who end up in spiritual centers in the States have some experience with psychedelics before coming in. 
know? Yeah. So, and if they're saying that, you know, it's an interesting situation, you know? So I hear what, I hear what Brad Warner's saying. And I, I do get what he's saying. I don't think meditation is the same. I don't think that the experiences are, you know, are substitutable, but, you know, just had too many people who have already done it and have gotten some value out of it. So it's an interesting situation. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, even let, let, let's take one, one more layer off. Okay. What, what is, well, a lot of, there's many answers for this, but what is one of the main points of meditation? Why do people practice? And I'm asking you, why do people practice meditation? Well, I think when you start bringing up the psychedelic part, there's some kind of idea of whether or not you're trying to have experiences that are transcendent mm-hmm. of your normal consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I can say, and I, we'll, go, we'll go the deeper dive down our own experiences and I'll share my little bit of acid experience, which actually was really positive. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't do a lot, so but it was positive. Where, you, where I did have the experience of like, oh, this is helping me transcend some limitations within my own experience of my own mind. Like I did have that experience. I can't lie and say that I didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, I mean, but so, so the, but the, to the to the answer to the question, I mean, that's people meditate in order to help themselves transcend the limits of their own mind. Is that one 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 reason? It's certainly it? a reason to do it, right? There's other right. reasons too, you know. Sure. But that's, you know, part of the thing. Can you get the mind into a state where it sort of transcends itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's on limitations. Say, what would you say are another couple of reasons why people would meditate? Well, you do it to develop concentration. You'd use mm-hmm. it to develop um, uh, virtues like love and compassion. Mm-hmm. You use it to develop uh, moments of insight that are maybe not exactly just transcendent experiences, but moments of like, aha, psychological mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. philosophical insight. I mean, there's lots of things you're doing. That's one of the beauties of the meditative thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things potentially happening within that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, an, it's almost another episode, but you know, there probably are lots of misunderstandings of even what meditation is, right? Yes. So, you know, we probably have to save that for the episode on meditation. Okay. But, uh, you know, no, I hear, I hear why you're going there, but you know, that then we'll never get back to this, this one here. No, we we'll talked about we'll that. Get back. Well, so, I mean, but, all, all... but you know, it's true. There's so much going on there. Yeah. You know? But yeah, yeah, part of it is the transcendent experience. So you can see that there's more to your mind than what you think. But yeah. I will say that, you know, from personal experience that I've had, and then being in these settings numerous times that I've seen people experience all of those things, you know, not at the same, not the same person in one sitting, but various people have experienced all of those things in their own uh, in their own setting while we're, while they're working with the medicine. So to say that this is, you know, something to be discarded is just not the case. I mean, you know, the way that I, the way that I look at it is that if someone takes, you know, significant time out of their life to do something with intention, with focus, with dedication, you know, and, and to really do it properly and not treat it flippantly, but, you know, really treat it with respect. And that doesn't mean you can't have fun. Um, but then those, those things are possible to have. And if that can help them along their path and in their meditative state that they might not be able to achieve normally, or at least not in enough time that keeps them motivated, well, then by all means, why wouldn't we not any tool necessary? I mean, if the goal, if the end goal is to become enlightened for the benefit of all other beings, who is to say what tool is or is not appropriate to be used? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting question of like individual difference there. Mm-hmm. You also use the word fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the goals of the podcast, mm-hmm. which is kind of point out to people like, you know, this stuff can be fun. I have right. lots of conversations with people saying, you know, meditation can be fun. You can have some really good, cool experiences meditating, or you can have some really cool, cool, good experiences 
through some other shamanistic ritual ayahuasca thing. You know, you, mm -hmm. some of it will be rough ride and some of it will be, you know, fun. And some of it will be lessons that are toughly learned, but are valuable mm -hmm. to you. I mean, all that stuff mm -hmm. can happen through all these different things. Mm -hmm. So from what you're saying, I was, again, I was going through this and there's the great Lama Yeshe, right? Who wrote Introduction to Tantra. And so I thought, well, does he have anything about this? And he says something kind of interesting about this. He says, someone asks him, you know, and this is would be back like probably in the seventies or something. They're asking him like, well, what do you think about this use of psychedelics? And he says an interesting thing that kind of goes back to what you were talking about too, Daniel. He said, mm -hmm. well, he says he thinks it can help some people in a certain way who think that body and, and mind or spirit are one, then they can kind of have this insight to get past that limited point of view. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to watch, like someone asked him the question, he thinks about it for a while you can kind of like see the inner gears going and that eventually comes with this answer and he's trying to be honest and he says, you know, it looks like from what he's saying, it can have give people that initial insight. But then he says the other side of it, which I guess I agree with too, which it's not a perfect, he uses the word perfect and maybe natural way to realize higher consciousness. So he kind of gives this dual answer. It can give mm -hmm. an insight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then probably that insight has to be cultivated on, uh, further. And he uses the word perfect and perfect is kind of an interesting use of a word there. Cause he means like it has value, but it may not be a complete or something like that. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to handle that problem too. And I think he gives a real, real honest answer from sort of a, you know, Tibetan tantric Buddhist point of view. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Dalai Lama goes more like a different way. He says like, well, the danger is increasing illusions, mm. which is not, uh, is not a, uh, unreasonable thing to say for some people so that's sort of like at least some of the, the tibetan tantric people i've heard talk about that specifically yeah and i would say that you know one of the my sort of tantric teacher will say that they can provide uh states of you know mind states that are beyond where someone is prepared to be at and uh, therefore it's it's it, it can be great but because you're not prepared for those states it's relatively unstable and so from a, you know, you know, sort of a, a logical process, it's, it's past where you're ready to be at, you know? And so then that could create attachments for you trying to make your way back there or wherever, you know, wherever quote unquote there is. So it has, it has detriments, but his point is that it's not that it, it should be avoided at all costs. It's just that if you're not ready for it and you may receive it, that's something to be cautious of. Yeah. I get a couple of interesting things of what you're saying there. One is that you do hear people talk that way. They have some experience and they just want to like get back to that thing mm. that was that transitory mm -hmm. experience. And that's probably not going to work one way or the other, whether mm -hmm. that's a meditative thing or a substance induced thing, like to sit there and try to work your way back to some, you know, particular transient experience that just doesn't really happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, you have to learn how to deal that whether you're a meditator or whether you're doing whatever you're doing, you know, the idea you can get back to some exact state you know, from some particular experience that you had, you know, you might get experiences that are like that again, but, you know, to go striving after that one thing again, probably isn't, mm -hmm. isn't going to happen. And you're also making it like the big point, which I think you're saying the whole way through, but I'll just like, I'll just emphasize it too. You're really talking about the difference of whether you're doing this in a guided spiritual setting with spiritual intent, which is so much different than doing it with a bunch of your friends, you know, like in a party setting, it's just not the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. so you have the guidance and, of someone, yeah. And there's preparation, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going to go, let's say on retreat, you're probably not going to, you know, go into the retreat, you know, working, you know, 50 hours the last, you know, four days drinking a bunch of, you know, booze and coffee and sugar and stuff like that. Your, your first, you know, depending on how long you're going to retreat for, but you know, your first couple of days is going to be really difficult because your body's going to be kind of de unprocessing what it is that you've been doing to yourself. So when people use these things in a ritual type setting, they're usually dieting, you know, or, or, you know, really working on their diet in a very specific way that we can talk about at a later time uh, in order to help themselves a process, what it is that they're going to be taking, whatever that, you know, psychedelic is, but then B also have space for the material that they're going to be processing as well. So processing used in an ambiguous term, but consciously. Right. So I think that it goes much like anything. If you prepare yourself, do it properly with proper guidance, then the end results are really personal and can be transformative. But the same could be said for a meditation retreat, you know, or a camping weekend with you and a, and a friend out in the middle of the, you know, Colorado woods. Like who knows what you're going to see when you stare at a, at a flowing river, what, you know, insight might come to you if you're, if done, you know, with intention, we talked about skillful means, you know, uh, with our podcast with Samit. And, you know, mentioning that doing it skillfully, um, I think oftentimes gets looked at because people treat, you know, psychedelics as, as drugs, as, as some sort of party thing or flippant thing that some people are just using to get away from society. Well, I can certainly say the same for meditation, right? We're trying to pause the world in a sense, you know? So, you know, I mean, same can be said for Netflix, can be said for work, can be said for sports, you know what I'm saying? So, I think for me, and I think probably for a lot of people, this is just a, a, a subject within the, the lexicon of life and the overarching um, negativity, the stereotypical negativity against it is odd, I will say. Well, I was trying to be honest about it. So from a, I'll, I'll just go from a very personal place. So I mm -hmm. had, um, I was already like uh, seeing my psych mentor. I was already getting my head shrunk. You know, mm -hmm. I kind of a rough upbringing <clears throat> and I was going through that process and it was it was difficult and helpful in the way that that kind of a thing is. Right. So who's leading me through this process of sort of psychologically understanding myself and I had things to understand for sure. And my uh, my little acid experience was just sort of mm -hmm. a fluky thing. But it was I was already like in my own inner world, like dealing with my own mind, you know, mm -hmm. So this is back in my 20s, and it was just sort of a fluky thing. And I, I, I did control dosing pretty well. I didn't do a huge dose, but I did enough to go on a ride for mm -hmm. sure. It was one of those interesting experiences, too. And we've all been there the first time you've done something like that where you kind of do it, and you're like, is this really going to do anything? And then all of a sudden, vroom, you know, it's like you're on the mm -hmm. roller coaster, and it's like going up, and you're like, well, okay, is something going to happen? And then zoom, you go yeah. through. And I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. and, um, and again – just sharing my own experience with it. I had a, I had a great time and a great experience, you know, mm -hmm. but I was in the kind of a funny place in my life where I was prepped mm -hmm. and I went out and I was at some party and there was, I play guitar. So there was like an old school Dan Electro guitar, which is a really freaky guitar. It's not a common thing. And there was one sitting at the party where I was at and I was like, damn, look at it. It's a Dan Electro. So I kind of like, it was in a funny space. I took the Dan Electro. I kind of like went off into the kitchen so I could get a little privacy with myself. I was playing some of the songs I would have played as a teenager on this old guitar. And then some dude came in that I didn't know that well. I couldn't even come up with his name now. But he kind of looked at me and he said, uh, are you Wigan? 
And I said, oh, yeah, I'm wigging out my mind right now. <laughs> and then he went, he was more experienced than me. And so with this thing, so he went, uh, you know what I love about that process or that experience? And I said, what? And he said, well, you know, when you're in that state, it's like your mind is a goldfish bowl. And I said, yeah. And then he said, and there's two fish in the bowl. And I went, dude, <laughs> it's so dead on. <laughs> and... Uh, because it was something I was going through the psych stuff and it gave me this weird, I mean, this is, you know, part of what we're talking about. It gave this weird mm -hmm. little moment of me going, you know, my mind is different when I, than what I think it is. And I had a, mm -hmm. probably because I came to a house where there was a lot of like physical and verbal abuse and um, it, it, some little crack happened and I realized I wrote stuff down in that weird days that you write stuff down in. But mm -hmm. some of it was like even semi-coherent when I looked back at it later. Mm -hmm. And it was very clear to me that like something opened and there was this realizing that there was some part of my mind that had been very influenced by those experiences and was maybe internally highly critical or like hostile, you know, mm -hmm. because I internalized in all of those voices from my, from my youth and my mind went Tuk! and it popped and I realized, no, you know, there's another problem. My mind that has nothing to do with that. And actually this is a conditioned thing mm -hmm. and therefore changeable. But mm -hmm. as far as preparation goes, I was in a state where I was kind of prepared, you know, and uh, so the experience was kind of euphoric. I had like an insight into, mm -hmm. I guess I would say the nature of myself, but also sort of the nature of the mind, or you could say the spirit or the Shen, if you want to talk in Chinese medical terms, mm -hmm. that there's something that made me realize, you no, know, this is a conditionable thing and therefore a changeable thing. And then you're getting really close to some pretty Buddhist philosophical ideas, like you know, maybe mm -hmm. it doesn't have a solid fixed state that it's in it's like it's changeable and adaptable and more malleable than what we normally think it is you know mm -hmm. so it was a, it was a good experience i was actually i sort of had my first love at the time and we were a little bit broken up uh you know but i, I found that we had, I had to use like an actual like uh I, there were no cell phones. I actually had to use like. You know, what do you mean? Phone. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. There was a time where there were no cell phones. Are you kidding me? That's mind blowing. <laughs> so I couldn't just pull out my cell phone and just text her like, I'm wigging out of my mind. And I had to like actually find a phone and call. And I was, you know, you're kind of like on those things. So when you do acid, you're speeding. Right. So I was yeah. speeding a little bit. So I was like speeding and I was talking with her and she was cool about it. And I know mm -hmm. it's, just, it's one of those I could still I'm talking now, like, you know, because I could still remember the images like really clear mm -hmm. of those moments. You know, and they were it was good. So I was listening to Brad Warner talk and I was like, well, OK, I do hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Everything you're saying is legit, you know, to a, to a point. It's all sure. legit to a point. But I was like, if I'm honest about it, you know, if someone were to ask me, is this one of the more important experiences of the early part of my life, you know, in a life that's had a lot of really, I think, good psychospiritual experiences, to be honest. But it's mm -hmm. one of the early ones that was really good. I can't mm -hmm. lie about it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, I had like kind of a, I had that personal reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'd say, okay, so. The other part of this conversation, you know, and how far we'll get down the well of this, maybe we'll continue this in the next episode. I guess we'll decide when we do it. But yeah, there's kind of like in Buddhism, they talk about three kinds of phenomena mm -hmm. and uh, they talk about good, bad and neutral phenomena. And so this is sort of the the Buddhist little part of this podcast, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, a little Buddhist technique here. And so. There are phenomena that are good, which are the ones that are going to lead to growth and development and insight mm -hmm. and all those positive mm -hmm. things, right? There are phenomena that are bad. And when you say something is bad, it's because it's holding you back from those things, 
right? It's keeping you back from insight and growth and development and, you know, uh, all those good qualities. And then there are things that are neutral and the things that are neutral that can, can go in all kinds of different directions. And so when I was thinking about the Brad Warner thing, he was kind of going like a little bit more towards the side that the drugs are bad, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could go from the point of view that the drugs are good, but I guess I would have to say honest from a sort of a bigger picture Buddhist point of view, I'd have to say probably, you know, psychedelics and different drugs are probably neutral. They yeah. can go the different ways for different people, depending on what you're talking about, setting and intention, right? Do you mm -hmm. use setting and set? Are those the words that you use? Set and setting is, is set and setting. Oh, mindset and setting. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, and I guess in a weird way, and I don't know what you think about this, Daniel, but it taps into sort of a problem around this whole set of questions in American culture overall, because there's definitely an idea that drugs are bad mm -hmm. in the culture. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole history of drugs being labeled bad. Mm -hmm. And I almost felt like, yeah, there's a little bit you know, of that problem coming through this discussion in spirituality, because there's so much of that lingering feeling, you know, of war on drugs mentality and drugs being this like intrinsically destructive thing. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's probably uh, a good a, a good place to you know a good place to pick up our our next podcast actually um but what i what i do you know before we before we sign off and sort of pick that up because i think it's a i think it's a good naturally cutting natural cutting point you know yeah but but what i will say is that because that is the case that and there are there is ideology behind it which we'll get into you know more deeper more deep next time um that there is a, that you feel a stigma around it much like, but like you don't when you let's say drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes or do some of these other things that are quote unquote accepted, you know, that are legal. Um, and I think what people forget is that like things that are legal change, right? So for one point, alcohol was illegal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and in some States, marijuana is totally legal, like just recreationally, no problem. And marijuana has absolutely, uh, psychedelic components to it, depending on, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you use, the amount that you use that you could certainly have realization to it. So I, I think, you know, things have to be kept in flux. And, and to your point about neutrality with, with drugs and with, you know, with however you want to call them entheogens or, you know, whatever it is neutral. And it just depends on how you use it, you know? And so like one of the, the statements that I've said numerous times, I forgot if it was you who said it or somebody else who I said it, but you know, tantric master, was like it's not about what you do but how you do it and that absolutely fits with our conversation today it is not what you do but how you do it so some people who have an addictive personality you know or who have genetic predisposition for addiction the chemical changes you know that are that are oftentimes outside of their ability to control should not use them period just should not use them because you know i have friends who have been and are, you know, recovering heroin addicts, would I recommend them using another? No, never, never. Even if I believe on some level that they're ready for it and they've been clean for 10 years and whatever. No, because that there's some changes that occurred to them that probably, or that might not be able to be re readdressed in this lifetime in that way. You know, there's other ways, healthy lifestyle, you know, things like that. That's a great change. But going back down the road of like, letting go of that sense of control and going down the road of mystery might just be too closely related to their addiction, you know? So it, it really is how you do it. And I feel like that the, the route that, you know, our society is on at least a big por portion of it 
it's very clearly, you know, good or bad. And that's it. There's not like a gray area in between. And like the only gray area is where you caught. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's it's, the gray area. And then the drug thing, if you're caught, that could be a real serious problem. Yeah. Correct. Like the way the culture is coming down there. Yeah, it's a really good point. And it's a good place probably to break it, right? Because I think mm-hmm. part of the goal of our whole conversation with a lot of these things, the whole gin and tantra, spirituality with a twist thing, is to be realistic about what people's lifestyles are now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then how those things actually can be used for spiritual import. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff will be things that could go in either direction. You know, sexuality mm-hmm. can go in either direction. It could be one of the most rewarding things for you spiritually. Or it could be something that causes you a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And the same is also true with, you know, uh, substance things. And the same is true with a lot of parts of life, right? So, you are yeah. dealing you're, in our lives, we're going to deal with things that are neutral. And part of the deal can be, will be, can we turn those into things that are going to be positives for ourselves, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. All right, that seems yeah. like a good spot, right? Yeah, perfect, man. Well, well, you know, really, this is a this is a good conversation, as all of them are. But you know, I think we're we're both have uh, we're pretty lively and feel pretty good about this. And you know, before we go, you know, just the people hear this, you know, the seven people who are who will hear this in the next year and a half. Oh, uh, we have to go. We have to go more optimistic than that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. We're trying 17, to at least seventeen hundred. Seventeen hundred. We want to get to. Oh, that's ambitious. Let's yeah, go. That's let's ambitious. go seventeen hundred. So yeah. Yeah, seventeen. So for the seventeen hundred people that, that are here, this and if they don't hear the follow up episode. You know, I'm not saying to use things recklessly, right? And this goes for pain medications. Like this doesn't necessarily just stop with marijuana, right? This goes for pain meds. This goes for, you know, anti or depression medications, sleep medications, vitamins, you know, everything with the, with, with the, uh, a question of desire and why it is that you're using it should always be in place, you know, and this way your, your decisions can be made from a, a, a place of empowerment, you know, as opposed to a place of chasing. And, you know, when it comes to hallucinogenics, the the same thing goes, just like you would treat it like alcohol, just like you treat anything else. If you have an addictive personality or you have predispositions for addiction in the family, then you got to be really careful. Uh, But if you're okay, relatively, you know, air quotes, okay, then I I don't, I wouldn't be afraid of it. You know, I wouldn't necessarily be afraid. I'm not telling anybody what they should or shouldn't do. I never would do that. But I'm also saying like, it's not the boogeyman. You know, you're also talking about like things where you can have guidance with this. So if you're really interested, you can find people who will help you on this is like to, to learn mm-hmm. how to use this in a responsible way. And that's obviously mm-hmm. part of the conversation too. Mm-hmm. you know, not a willy nilly thing, but a place where, you know, there are people who can help you with this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lives can, you can definitely have a huge impact on your life with anything, but with this in particular, because it is so potent and it is so personal, the lessons that often come up are extremely personal because it's just you, you know, it's you and whatever plant or whatever, you know, hallucinogenic you're using. So, and that could also be addictive too, you know, so we just have to be careful. I mean, ultimately we're trying to help people um, question things and become more conscious. And this is just one of the things that ends up in our lifetime that we should, you know, deal with. All right. So I think this was a very, I'm going to go there again, fair, fair and balanced conversation. Um, No, I went there. We're going to steal that saying back from them. We're going to steal that back from those MFers. So, uh, yeah. So I think what next time we'll continue on and we'll talk about some of the, we'll go deeper down the well of the, the good, the bad and the neutral of it. Right. And we'll just explore some of the research and we'll talk a little bit more, some personal experiences and we'll continue that. Sounds great, Daniel. Awesome. Well, for Eric, this is Daniel. Thank you very much for tuning in. We uh, do appreciate all the support, all the ears and everything else. Uh, We look forward to uh, hooking up with you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you.
Yeah. 